Welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer, and today we're going across the pond to the British Isles. We have a brand new spanking book out called Fromer's England and Scotland. It is a really, really helpful, fascinating, good read. And we're going to talk about the England side of it today because I have a bunch of different authors from the book on the show here to talk about places in England you might not have thought of going. So we're not actually going to talk about London today. Uh, We're going to be talking about the other parts of England that you should see. And my first guest knows a lot about that. His name is Simon Wilmore. He wrote several chapters from our book. Hey, Simon, thank you so much for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Hi, Pauline. Great to talk to you. Thank you very much for having me on. My pleasure. And almost by coincidence, you became the author who discussed a lot of the academic sites in England. You covered Eton, you covered Oxford, you covered Cambridge. And to me, these are quintessentially English sites because here in the US, yeah, maybe a a handful of people will tour a Harvard Yard in Cambridge, Massachusetts. But for the most part, our academic sites in the U.S. aren't tourist sites. Why Why are they such important tourist sites in the U.K., do you think? That's a fantastic question. I think, you know, we obviously, people t- talk about Eton, people talk about Oxford as as cities that are famous, as you say, in the world of education. But they're absolutely beautiful, absolutely spectacular kind of tourist destinations in their own right. You don't have to be a, you know, a Harry Potter fan or a want to be a wannabe student to be to be interested in in Oxford. Even though of course they have that in spades as well if you like, you know, Harry Potter then you can go and get your fill of all the the tours of the the university halls and stuff. But yeah. Well, we should say that that some of it was filmed there yes, or based on the right. architecture there. So to go go a little deeper into that. Sure. So various the I guess the kind of the the quintessential uh, spots in that part of the world. If you think of the, the the great halls where they have their feasts at the special times of year, where they have those enormous great banqueting tables, a lot of those kind of scenes were exactly as you say they were filmed in some of the universities in and around uh, Oxford and Cambridge. Right. Okay, so beyond the Harry Potter scenes, I have a special place in my heart for Oxford because when I was in high school, I actually did a summer program there on Shakespeare. I got to live in New College, which was called New College because it was founded, I think, in the 16th century. (laughs) At the time, it was new, no longer so new. But it, it was such a thrill to walk those storied halls and see, I mean, at Oxford, wow, those students, they live the high life, right? Yeah, it's quite a nice place to be a student. It's only 40 minutes. Uh, so I, I nowadays I'm based in a place called Morton and Marsh, which is just 40 minutes down the train line to Oxford. So I get to go quite a lot. And exactly as you say, you know, just to, to be a student and just to kind of exist in and around those wonderful, wonderful storied town, kind of the town squares and the, and the small, quaint little streets. And it's not just kind of beautiful as we, uh, if you think of places like the Eagle and Child I won't. Uh, I won't go t- into too much detail. But you think of the phenomenal pubs where some of the the world's great. I think it's fair to say some of the great authors throughout the world have spent many a time uh-huh. in, in, a, in a quiet, 
pub having a beer and discussing the the zeitgeist, discussing the issues of the day. Is a is a fascinating peek into a, a culture that really regards the pursuit of education as a noble thing. A hundred percent. I mean, if you think, you know, John Donne, Christopher Wren, C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, just to name a few, these are all absolutely... Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking, even moving more recently than that, Margaret Thatcher. You know, these are genuine kind of luminaries in, in their own industries. And it's just wonderful to kind of to, to feel that magic pass down the decades, centuries even. Right. Now, in another one of your chapters, you cover Eton. And I was always struck by the fact that Eton is very near Windsor Castle, which meant that when Queen Elizabeth was alive, she could have uh, playdates with her grandchildren who were studying at Eton. It was a way for that family to get together. When you go to visit Windsor, how close do you actually get to seeing the life of the royals? Oh, it, absolutely! You know, you can you can walk the same corridors. You can see what they see. You can, well, we'll get into some details in a minute. But you can really learn a little bit about the uh, the royals. And obviously, there's been uh, some huge upheavals in the royal family at the moment. You know, with of course Her Majesty passing uh, last year. But you do get to to you know walk the state rooms, walk the the storied corridors, and you get to see some, some even quite quirky things, such as the doll's house, which we can talk about a little bit more. Well, let's tell me about the doll's house. What is that? Yeah, it's it's quite quite surprising in some ways, and I think it's in a funny way. I think it's quite um, quite reminiscent of of the fact that these are just human people. At the end of the day, they are they are human beings. the The doll's house. It was Queen Mary's doll's house back from the nineteen twenties. It was given by uh, it was given to Queen Mary by um, one of the one of the consorts of George V by the consort of George V. And it's just it is a doll's house as we know it, but it is just the most ridiculous doll's house you may ever see. It's basically <laughs> the palace in miniature. And it wow. has uh, uh, lifts, it has elevators that work, it has running water in the bathrooms. So it's, uh, you know, a reminder, to, as grand and as elegant as this doll's house may be, it is an interesting reminder that, you know, Queen Mary was once a little girl. It's interesting. Yeah. And can one visit Windsor when the family is in residence? Or do is it only open when they're not there? And, and how far in advance do you have to get tickets? I would recommend booking. You know, as soon as you know you're you're becoming to this part of the world, I would I would recommend to book in, in advance as soon as possible. There's a timed ticketing system which is in operation nowadays. That's to kind of to manage visitor numbers, as as you can imagine. So yeah, you absolutely do have to book in advance. I would say months, not weeks, in advance, just to be on the safe side. Because the t- tickets are limited, or because it's only open when the royals aren't there. Uh, it's it's to manage visitor numbers in general. When uh, yeah. when the royals are at at home and Charles the Third, obviously our new monarch Charles the Third does get to visit quite regularly. You'll see the you'll see the flag flying, the royal emblem flying. You also updated a chapter on the beachy areas of England, uh, Devon and Cornwall. Obviously, it's an island, so we all know there are beaches in England, but I don't think a lot of Americans think of going to visit those communities. Why should they? 
I mean, I guess let's kind of qualify. I think the reason a lot of a lot of Americans don't think about the British beaches is, is because our weather can't be trusted most of the time. Unfortunately, <laughs> right. um, this is this is the sad uh, sad truth of it. But you know, July and August, or, or even nowadays, moving into kind of June and September, what we would traditionally call the the shoulder seasons. If you do get a beautiful sunny day, I honestly believe the British seaside is is as beautiful as, as anywhere on the planet. I genuinely believe that. You know, uh, Devon and Cornwall, even moving up kind of Exmoor area, Dartmoor area, look out to the coast, go and find a nice kind of country pub, local ale, and go and sit and watch the sun. Uh, kind of come in across the the bay in in that part of the world. They are beautiful, you know, long sweeping sandy beaches, as you might expect in more tropical climes. Let's say if the weather is behaving itself, honestly, it is some of the most beautiful scenery you'll ever see. Hmm. Now you also covered Stratford, which is famous as being Shakespeare's hometown. Sure. What do you think is is a surprise of Stratford? What do people not expect to see when they go there? Or are there any surprises? I think there absolutely are surprises. And I, hopefully this feels like a surprise. But one of the big things to me that is a surprise is just how lovely it is as a town to kind of sit by the waterfront and just soak up the atmosphere. I mean, Lord knows... We're very, very lucky that, you know, Shakespeare County, right now I'm I'm 15 minutes away from the from the borders of that part of the world, from the borders of Warwickshire. Uh, and it is absolutely Shakespeare's county, as they call it. And, you know, there's so much to do there. You can go and see where he was born. You can go and see Anne Hathaway's cottage. Uh, Lord knows Shakespeare is kind of prominent throughout the area. But I would really, really recommend to to just take a minute just to kind of soak up the atmosphere around Stratford, Stratford-upon-Avon specifically, we call it. And, you know, you go and find a, a boat company, go to the, the right in the centre of town is, uh, it's called Bancroft Gardens. And you'll round there, you'll find a boat company and go and either sit on the side. This is in the shadow of the RSC. So, of course, you can't kind of escape Shakespeare. Royal Shakespeare Company. Yes, sorry, exactly right there. Yes. I see the Royal Shakespeare <laughs> Company Theatre. Exactly right. So Shakespeare is still kind of looking over you, as it were. But just go and have an ice cream and, and watch the watch the world go by. There's some absolutely beautiful kind of waterfront cafes. Uh, and just go and, uh, yeah, take a minute away from from frantically running around to, to see everything that Shakespeare has created, to, to see his legacy, and just watch the world go by. Yeah. All right. And the Cotswolds. I have a feeling that maybe a handful of our readers or listeners, I should say, don't know what the Cotswolds is. What does the word mean? And and tell us about the highlights of that area since you covered it. Sure. So uh, I guess there are two main theories when it comes to the naming, the original naming of the Cotswolds. Uh, So walls are gentle hills or kind of gentle slopes. And you will see that word a little bit around kind of rural England. Cots as well are, are back in the day, they were known as cots. They're sheep enclosures or sheep pens. So, uh, yeah. so one theory is uh, is just that Cotswolds uh, means what a, what a picturesque idea this is. Just means an area of gently sloping hills with plenty of sheep, which is which is still relevant today. So that's one theory that I could absolutely subscribe to. One other one that's worth mentioning, which is quite interesting, is there was a, a Saxon uh, Saxon man, a Saxon landowner called Cod C O D. And so if he owned a wald, that would, of course, be known as Codswold. So perhaps that's the other theory. Ah, wow. Who knew? That's fascinating. 
And what are the highlights of the Cotswolds? Why would a, an American go there? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a beautiful, I guess if you can kind of, you might not associate it with the, the Cotswolds, but if you, uh, you know, folks, if you're listening, kind of cast your mind to the, the quintessential chocolate box village with the beautiful yellow stone and perhaps the tiny little stream or brook kind of babbling through the fantastic cute little coffee shops and tea rooms um you know castle coombe is a place that comes to mind if you if you think of just about the most quintessentially english beautiful village castle coombe wouldn't be far away and is there a castle there to see? Actually, that's a great question. Not that I remember. I don't think so. Um, you, <laughs> that's funny. You caught me unaware now. I, it's a misnomer. <laughs> I think they used to be, um, but it's huh. if you if you kind of search for an image of Castle Coombe now, folks, you'll see that kind of that classic image of the small stone bridge going over the stream and then kind of looking up the high street, and you've got the the tiles on uh, the stone tiles and the yellow stone the yellow stone houses you've got the the market and the and st andrew's church which i think is about the 13th century church but actually as far as i'm aware i can't think of I don't think there's a castle there. No. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. The Cotswolds is also known for beautiful gardens too. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. We're we're spoilt for choice here in the Cotswolds. You know, you have Hidcot, you have Sesencot. Sesencot is actually worth a mention in its own right because it's it's it, it, you know we're here in rural Gloucestershire, but it's actually inspired by the Taj Mahal. So it has the the huh. un, the onion shaped dome that you might see on on those kind of iconic uh, religious monuments in India. That's uh, that's probably just 15 minutes down the road from where I am now. That's Sezincot, S-E-Z-I-N-C-O-T-E. And they have uh, beautiful lands with a park and kind of pond you can walk past. And then Hidcot, that's H-I-D-C-O-T-E, is just absolutely spectacular and enormous kind of, I guess you might call it like an English cottage garden, but it's it's yeah. enormous as well. Well, you've made it all sound really, really uh, appealing. Thank you so much, Simon, for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Thank you, Pauline. It's been wonderful talking to you. Deborah Colcutt wrote the Old Wessex chapter for Fromers England and Scotland, and I have her on the phone to discuss it. Hey, Deborah, lovely to speak with you. Hello, Pauline. Lovely to speak with you too. So I have a feeling most of our listeners have no idea what Old Wessex is, but many probably have gone because it's the region where Stonehenge is. And uh, I hope this isn't a rude question, but I, I think a lot of visitors are are disappointed by Stonehenge when they go because you, you can't get that close to it anymore. Do you have any suggestions on, on how to up your appreciation for the site? Or would you say maybe spend more time at the really wonderful sites that are near Stonehenge? I think that's very true, Pauline, and, and I think that is a shame. And they are, I understand, working to improve it. They are very aware that it's not sometimes a great visitor experience. I mean, there are a couple of things that you can do. Obviously, going outside the obvious season, holiday season is a good good thing to do. 
if you can. I know it's difficult for many visitors um, to the, to England, but uh, if you can go not during the school holidays, for example, you will right. have a bit more peace and quiet. You'll have the place to yourself. Obviously, again, you know, kind of going early in the morning, trying to avoid the big rush. I think the biggest problem is the crowds and often that, you know, huh. you can't get that close. And I think people imagine that you can go up and touch the stones, which you can't do. For, for very good reasons, if everyone touched them, you know, it would be it would be difficult and they would they would sustain a lot of damage. So you can understand why they do it. But I equally it's it's not a great visitor visitor experience. Um, I mean, some people like seeing it from a distance. And in the uh, from us guide, we do give you some suggestions of places that you can go to. And you can kind of look back at Stonehenge, and for many people, particularly photographers, that can be that can be fantastic. Particularly at you know sunrise or sunset, you can get some stunning photographs, and you get some you sure. know, great idea of the geography and how important it was, and how imposing it is because it is still an amazing site. It is they are huge when you when you get close to them, you kind of don't realise how big they are. But right. we do have some other suggestions in the book. There is there is an amazing place just within walking distance. Well, I mean, it's a little bit of a walk, but it's a nice walk uh, called Durrington Walls. It's, uh, it, it's again, it's a kind of an archaeological site. Ah. As much to see, but it's um, from that same from the same era as Stonehenge. Um, around about the same era as Stonehenge, yeah. So it's a Neolithic village, and they've un- unearthed quite a lot of of um, remains, and you know you can get a really good sense of how they live. They've unearthed huh? timbers and hearths, and you know in the houses where the villagers used to live. So that do they think that these? I, I didn't know about this. Do they think that these villagers are the ones who perhaps worshipped at Stonehenge or built Stonehenge? Yeah, they. I mean, it, the, you know, the most amazing thing, Pauline, about Stonehenge is that there is still so much debate about who um, who built it and and when it was yeah. built and where the stones came from, as you probably know. So yes, that is one theory that they could have that, that those could have been villagers who were you know craftsmen. They were they were builders, either building the trenches or helping drag the stones or shaping the stones um so interesting or we know also that it was even then it was it was a a place that people went to to kind of worship and stuff so yes it could have been people on a pilgrimage could have been people who stayed there on their on their pilgrimage on their way we don't really know this the right the truth and a lot of people will pair Stonehenge with with Salisbury, right? Which that's has right. a spectacular cathedral. Yes, Salisbury. That's right. Yes, I mean Salisbury is. I mean the, the great thing about England compared to you know particularly for for visitors to America is that everything is pretty nearby in your by your by your um, standards. Sure, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, you can, it's not Texas. Yeah, there's not the big distances, so you know you can do these places in a day, which is really nice. You could tick off quite a few of them. A lot of them don't need much more than that. So you can base yourself in Salisbury, and you can go and visit Old Sarum. You can go and visit Stonehenge. Um, Salisbury itself, as you say, has an amazing cathedral, which is very impressive. There's lots of churches. There's a uh, there's a there's a, a lovely house, Montpessant House which was used as a location for the 1995 film Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility. So if you're a Jane Austen huh. fan, that's a nice thing to see. Well, let's let's talk about Jane Austen, because yes. I would say second to Stonehenge, that's why people go to this region, right? I mean, yeah. this is this is Jane Austen country. It is. She, she lived here. She wrote about this area. Yes. What do you see and do from, from Jane Austen's time? So if you um if you are a real Jane Austen buff, the place to go to is Winchester, which is another lovely cathedral city, um town actually, 
and there's a lot to do there. It's, it's it really is a beautiful place, and it's it's again quite contained. So you can probably spend you know a really nice day or even half day wandering around uh, Winchester with lots of things to see. And one of the attractions is the uh, Jane Austen House Museum. So this is where uh, Jane Austen she lived just outside Winchester, actually in a village called Chawton the last eight years of her life, uh, during uh, which time she wrote quite a few of her novels. Um, so four of the six were were written there. So, Wow. And is this also the town where she was buried? That's Yes, she is buried in Winchester. That's right. Yes, she is. I, I read in the book preparing for this, and this was such a shock to me, and I guess speaks to the times, that on her original tombstone, uh, there was no mention that she was a writer. No, that's right. Um, because, you know, as, as we know, many, many female authors of, uh, at that time um, were not recognized in their, in their lifetimes, which is, which is very sad. Huh. So uh, when you go to Winchester, how much of it was preserved from that time? I, I would think, you know, if, if she didn't even get a tombstone saying she was a writer, probably nobody thought to preserve that house to look like it did when she lived there, right? Is it is it furniture from the period, or do you actually see things uh, from Jane Austen's time? Um, there? They're, they're not they're not original. Um, you're right. I mean, she mm. she actually was you know she was actually quite as you might imagine as a as a rector's daughter. She was quite you know they, they were quite sort of parsimonious. They were quite frugal, I guess one could say. Right. And I guess that's why she had the sort of interest in the landed gentry and the aristocracy. But she herself lived quite a simple life. And so um, huh. it was quite a modest sort of cottage, basically. But it has been sort of painstakingly recreated with with uh, furniture from the period. And, and I mean, there are a few genuine bits and pieces that belonged to uh, Jane Austen, some jewellery and needlework and that sort of thing. Huh. Not, a, you know, it, it's not sort of exactly as it was obviously untouched since, since when she sure. was there. But there are there are some quite you know there's some fun things to do. I mean, if you do if you are traveling with children, there are some um, activities that children can do. Dress up in period costume and try writing with a quill pen, which is obviously what she would have been writing her her books sure. with. Yeah. Um, so that's quite fun. And you can actually go even farther back into the past in this area because now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say that the Roman. Uh, they they hardly feel like ruins. That but the Roman structures in Bath are, are probably the best preserved in the UK. Or, or am I wrong? I, I was so impressed when I went to the Baths of Bath. Yes, yes, no, they are. I mean, they are they are very well preserved, and you really can imagine the Romans there in their you know in their togas and 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 what have you, sort of wandering around. Um, I mean, they you know obviously they've been modernised for. For, for modern day hygiene reasons and, and things like that, but pretty much the building and the, the baths, the area where the water is in is 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 very similar to how it was then. Uh, there's the old pump room, which is obviously where they pumped the water through from to fill right. the baths and everything. Yes, it's it's yeah, no, it, it you was. really do feel like you really you've do. gone back to the Roman era there. Yeah. Now, uh, one last question. I know that Bath is very well known for its high tea. Mm. Why why do High tea and bath, or am I wrong about that? You went, hmm, so I'm thinking maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> not, not wrong at all. Um, high tea is, is, is a big thing. 
there are plenty of other places which we suggest in the book where you can go and have our tea. There's some there's some very lovely hotels in Bath um, where you'll get. I mean, as you know, afternoon tea is a big thing in England. Anywhere you can have afternoon tea in the uh, in the baths in the Roman baths. There's a there's a there's a sort of tea room adjacent to those, Mm. so you can have tea there as well if you prefer. I, I I love the the whole ceremony around. Uh, high tea. I've only done it once or twice in my life, but in in a certain way, it, it feels like the Brits' way of having a Zen moment in the day. <laughs> you know, you 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 sit down, you get this ridiculously huge yeah. presentation of little sandwiches and cakes, and then the tea is poured slowly, and you're just supposed to to relax and talk with your companion. And in a certain way, it's very different than the pub experience, which is you know and everybody talking with one another. And, and this this seems to be the Brits' way, and, and this is a, an American speaking, but the Brits' way of having a Zen moment. Am I, am I right about that? You are absolutely right about that, Pauline. And it's um, it's becoming even, I would say it's, it's even more popular than when I was when I was younger, um, when I was growing right. up. It's really kind of had its, ha- having a moment again in, in all the top hotels, obviously, particularly in, in London, but in, in all the cities. It's a big thing. It would be something, for example, that you would gift somebody for their birthday. You might take sure. a relative or if you're going on a date or something like that, it could be a nice thing to do. Um, and you're absolutely right. Mm. You get this you know, wonderful presentation of the, the stacked cake, the tiered cake stand with all the delicious things on it. And of course, in the West Country, you'll, you'll have to try scones with, with cream and jam. And um, it's, it's a real ceremony. Lots of different kinds of tea. You can add you know, champagne with it if you like, all that sort of thing. And it is a, right. it's very lovely, and and you know usually the tea rooms are beautiful, and it's, it's as much about the ambiance and people watching and the interiors of the hotels as it is the the stuff that you're eating. But it's yes, absolutely it's lovely. It's a very nice ritual, yeah. and particularly if you've been on your feet all day long, you know, um, pounding <laughs> the pavements and cobbles, um, looking at things. It's um it's a lovely way to have a break. Yeah. Well, it's it, it's expensive, so it's it, not it something you're going to do more yeah. than once no. in your vacation. No, exactly. But it is a wonderful way to. It to break up the sightseeing. Well, thank you so much, Deborah. It's a delight speaking with you and and thank you for this wonderful book. Thank you. It was a pleasure to write it. I enjoyed it so much. Samantha Priestley is the author of what I'd say are two of the most important chapters in our new England and Scotland book. They are The Lake District and Yorkshire and the Northeast. And I got to say, no place in England surprised me more uh, when I first visited it than the Lake District. Samantha, why is that region the one that has inspired poets over the decades and centuries? Well, a lot of it has to do with the landscape. Um, as you'll know, having been there, the um, the hills, the valleys, the lakes themselves, it's such stunning scenery. I think walking through that land, which, you know, if we're talking about Wordsworth and various people who've um, been inspired by it. The Beatrix Potter. Beatrix Potter, yeah. Um, the walking through there, hiking and walking through the landscape, it, it really is like nowhere else. It's um, moody and brooding and, yeah, it rains a lot, but that's how we we get such lush landscape and the lakes is from the rain. So you've got to embrace that. Right. Absolutely. No, it's, it's, it's a, you know, I always think of England as being, I don't know, somewhat flat and you have magnificent 
castles and you have, you know, half timbered buildings and and other things that man made. But this is really such an extraordinary nature area. Yes. And as you as you said, yes, inspired Wordsworth, inspired Beatrix Potter. I named my daughter Beatrix. Uh And when she was just a small child, we tried to go to Beatrix Potter's house. In the Lake District, she was so excited about it, but we made a rookie mistake. We didn't get reservations ages in, in advance, and it was filled with Japanese tourists. Oh, yes. <laughs> tell tell our listeners why the Japanese love Beatrix Potter. I do, mean, do you know? You'd have to ask the Japanese, I suppose. <laughs> well, I've heard it's I've heard it's because they study Beatrix Potter to learn English, so oh, they really? studied in school. Yes, yes. Wow, that's interesting. I mean, I think Beatrix Potter's loved the world over, isn't she, really? I mean, Peter Peter Rabbit is just, it's so simple an idea, but so effective. And I think if you were learning English, that that is a good place to start. Yeah, absolutely. So what did I miss? What is Beatrix Potter's house like? It's, it's, it's as it's as you would expect it to be, really, which is great. It's been preserved, although it is a museum as well. It, it is just like walking into her house, as you would expect it to be, which I always mm. appreciate that. And yeah, I went uh, the two Wordsworths houses that you can go to are the same as well. It's just like walking into, uh, you know, a moment in time. You're stepping in, mm. and you've you've got all of their. Um, you know, Beatrix Potter, you've got all of her art materials around and paintings right. and, you know, so it is as if you've, you know, she just popped out for lunch and you've got it. Mm. Which wow, is wow. What's, what are your favourite places in the Lake District? Uh, I think my favourite is Buttermere. Did you go there? No, I didn't. What is oh, it? Tell beautiful. us. It's beautiful lake. It's really um, moody and atmospheric. Um, you can walk all the way around the lake and it, it's an easy walk. You don't have to worry about any hikes. And it's it's flanked by dramatic mountains. So it's it's stunning scenery and it's very quiet. It's a small village. So you don't get the masses of tourists that you get in places like Grasmere and Windermere. Um, it's quieter and there's an interesting story connected to the hotel there. Um, the main. What's that? Well, it used to be called the Fish Inn. Sadly, they've changed it now. I think it's the Buttermere Hotel. But there mm-hmm. was um, the daughter of the landlord there was conned by a, a, a man who passed through, and she fell in love and married him. And he wasn't what he seemed at all. He was a bigamist, and oh, uh, wow. yeah, and she was uh, you know shamed because it's a small community. Sure. So she was shamed for it, but it all turned out fine in the end. Everybody got over it and she did marry and have a happy life. But it's Buttermere's famous um, romantic historical story. And when you're there, you can go in the um, the inn where she lived. Huh. Um, and uh, you can really feel a sense of um, brooding trouble. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Which is a wonderful thing to feel it's while on vacation. Beautiful, beautiful place, but it does feel very moody, and mm, especially on a, on a dim, drizzly day, you you can really get a sense of um, nitty gritty things. 
Right, absolutely. You also wrote about Yorkshire and Northeast England. What are the top uh, attractions for visitors in in those areas? Uh, well, I'm from Yorkshire, so um, ah. it's a joy for me to write about Yorkshire. York is the obvious one, beautiful um, walled city. You can walk all the way around the walls, um, and it's huh. and the, how old are the walls? Are well, they from the Middle Ages? Yeah, I mean, I'd have to look that up right now. <laughs> to, to check. Well, well I, I I'm looking at it right now, 13th and 14th century. So ah, yes, the go. Middle Ages. Yeah, so you can, and they're uh, really well kept and intact, and you can walk all the way around them. Um, you get fantastic views of the city as well. And the Minster, of course, is stunning if you get to go in the Minster. My daughter graduated from university in the Minster, and uh, that oh. was incredible, magical experience. And at Christmas, oh, York is fantastic at Christmas. There's the medieval Christmas markets, and there's a year-round Christmas shop there, so it's very, very Christmassy. And I see that one of the big uh, attractions is a Viking centre. Yes. People forget that the Vikings had their way with this area of of the UK and, and many other parts of the British Isles. What do you see and do at the Viking Centre? Um, you, it's a walkthrough of of, uh, Vic- of York's history in Viking times. Um, the one thing that stands out to me when you go in the Jorvik Centre is um, they have that um, smells of the times. Um, <laughs> as soon as you walk in, you can smell it. You can smell being in Viking times. <laughs> You, so what do what do Viking times smell like? Pigsties yeah, or at times not great, but <laughs> <laughs> but it is it is a really good attraction, and it's very interesting to to see how they lived and what they were doing there, and also of course a lot of um, uh, streets in in York do have Viking names. So you can you only have to walk around the city and you can see evidence of of the Vikings. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's very interesting. My husband, we had thought he was mostly Scotch-Irish, but when he did his DNA testing, he found a lot of Scandinavian in his background, ah. probably because of the Vikings. Yes, I think a lot of us in Britain would have Viking DNA. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. And there's also a, a very well-loved national park uh, in your area, uh, North York Moors National Park. Yes. Uh, so what, what are the top activities there? Well, one of the things I love is a lot of people probably don't realize is that you have some really fantastic dramatic waterfalls in, in North Yorkshire. Um, so you can go on some really good walks and some of them are not easy to find but it's a bit of an adventure you know you get some good maps and you can find them and they really are worth seeking out some of the walks to them are a little bit hairy in places I've done we did one recently and one of the uh, ways to get to it along the river you really just couldn't it was impassable so we had to find a way around on the top of the moor but if you mm. make the effort to go and find the waterfalls, they are just stunning. And a lot of people don't know they're there. So you might no. get them to yourself. Fascinating. Well, well, it's been such a delight speaking with you. Uh, thank you so much, Samantha, for, for writing this book and also for chatting with me today. Thank you for having me. Well, it's goodbye time for this week's show. But it was it was fun hearing all those different accents and taking that oral tour of England makes me want to go back. So as always, I thank you for listening. 
I hope you will go out and get the book because it's a darn good one filled with gloriously beautiful photos, great maps, and as you could probably hear, lots of expert text that will help you plan your next vacation to England and Scotland. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you all next week. To those who are traveling, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage.